Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Setacase, and this is a podcast where we explore all of life's deepest questions with the experts. I really love thinking about cool stuff, and you're invited to come think with me. On this episode, we're going to be talking with, it's another special episode, I got to say that, otherwise looks like I don't like my guest. It's a special, special episode, and I have with me uh, Travis, Dr. Travis Dickinson, and he is a professor of philosophy at DBU, Dallas Baptist University. And we're going to be talking a little bit about his new book, Logic in the Way of Jesus, <clears throat> Thinking Critically and uh, Christianly. And I really like this thinking Christianly stuff. So I'm really pumped to get into that. We're also going to be covering a bit of a um, Phil Christie paper that he wrote on virtuous faith. So that is going to be really fun, too. I, I like it. I'm, I'm pumped. Before we jump into the conversation, though, I want to thank everyone who is supporting me on Patreon. If you want to see me here, continue doing this stuff and bringing the goods to you guys, please consider becoming a Patreon patron and supporting the show. You can support for all different levels of money. Uh, please check that out. You can find the link in the description. There's all sorts of like cool prizes or I don't want to say goodies. I keep forgetting. There's stuff you can get if you support at different levels. Another way to support the podcast is if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, which I know a lot of you guys are, I see the stats, please just leave me a five-star review. That'd be huge. And, and drop me a comment. That will help the algorithms and all that good stuff. So thank you. That's two ways to support the podcast if you like it. Without further ado, though, let's get into it. We're going to be talking about faith, philosophy, and thinking Christianly. Let's do it. Travis, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. You bet. No, it's my pleasure. I'm a, I'm a fan of the show. I mean, I'm somewhat of a, a fair weather fan, to be honest, uh, <laughs> but I am a fan of the show, but an even bigger fan of your mustache. So, well oh, done. Perfect, dude. I appreciate that. And you're not a fair weather fan of the mustache, I, I assume. No, so that's good. no. I'm All complete. Right. I'm <laughs> that's cool. fantastic. Well, um, dude, I'm, I'm pumped for this. Thanks for, you, you sent me this book, uh, Logic in the Way of Jesus, and it's Thinking Critically and Christianly. And I, I wanted to start off with uh, Emmanuel Kant naturally. Um, it's not it's not supernaturally, but um, Kant has this essay called "What Is Enlightenment?" And uh, in there, he says enlightenment is man's emergence from his self-imposed knownage. I think that's right. Knownage is the inability to use one's own understanding without another's guidance. This knownage is self-imposed if its cause lies not in lack of understanding, but in indecision and lack of courage to use one's own mind without another's guidance. Dare to know. Having the courage to use your own understanding is therefore the motto of enlightenment. So this has come up uh, here and there. I've heard it. And some people will say, you know, what Christian philosophy is like an oxymoron because if we're following Kant and, and enlightenment, and that's, you know, reason and rationality, then you can't have these these guiding principles that Christianity limits your thinking. You can't think over here because you have a tenant of Christianity you're holding on to. Man, just just initially, I'm tossing this at you here. What, what do you make of that? So I have, uh, you know, uh, one foot in the sort of the academic world and one foot sort of in the the church world, and just you know speaking and uh, you know I get to talk to like real people and that sort of <laughs> thing. Uh, 
And so I've heard every version of this and, um, you know, uh, the, the way in which philosophy is supposed to be somehow, you know, uh, contrary to faith or contrary to Christianity. But, you know, the, the, the sort of zinger response back is always to say, well, you know, that's an interesting philosophical view you have there, uh, <laughs> rejecting mm-hmm. philosophy uh, for Christians and that sort of thing. And, and the reality is, again, like, you know, the way I think of it, at least, you can't escape philosophy. Uh, we all make, I don't know that we all do philosophy. Some people will say that, that everybody's a philosopher. I don't actually know that that's true, but I do think that we all have philosophical assumptions that we make. Uh, and this is the way to really sort of, I think, um, motivate the discipline and the study of philosophy is to say, like, look, you're assuming a, a whole host of philosophical you know, sort of positions when you do anything, brush your teeth, get out of bed, uh, preach a sermon, share Christ with someone like there's, there's a, there's just a host of philosophical assumptions you're making. And so it's not to say that you have to do the philosophy in order to sort of, uh, you know, be rational. I don't think you, I don't think that's, that's probably a bit too strong, but I do think if you, it's really interesting uh, it's interesting to dig into those philosophical questions, and, and in a way, we all should. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful, man. So, so what about Kant? Um, I really like Kant. I like thinking through what Kant has to say. Um, I know a lot of people don't, but he's hard reading. Yeah, he is, and that's that's it's part of the fun. He's kind of like a Rorschach test, and you're like, well, yeah. I think Kant says this. Right, that says something about you. Right. Um, he he goes on to talk about like creeds and confessions, and I wonder so. I want to tie this into to your thoughts on thinking Christianly. Yeah. Um, it, a lot of my friends uh, hold two different creeds and confessions, and some of those will commit them to certain doctrines like simplicity. And um, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that, though I have a lot of philosopher friends as well who keep hammering me on the other side of simplicity. Saying, That's crazy, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. man, what do you what do you make of that? Like, like thinking Christianly and committing yourself to certain creeds and confessions is that is that okay like can a christian philosopher hold to a a creed and say look i i can't challenge simplicity because i uh, am am a member of a certain denomination or something well i you know so i think we should i think we should be thinking uh you know critically about all these things of course Mm -hmm. so um no i don't i think i'm I'm sort of torn on it on the question a little bit because there's a way in which I do think we should give sort of some uh, epistemic weight to the traditions that we are sort of standing in and not to sort of, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know if the word would be arrogantly, but just sort of, you know, dismissing those, I guess, too lightly, like just sort of, right, there's a reason why simplicity is so entrenched in some of these traditions. Mm -hmm. But um, the point is, I guess, to dig in and ask deep and difficult questions about these things and, and hold these, uh, you know, one, make, we need to make sense of them. We need to understand them, but then also understand the tradition, understand what's being claimed and hold to these cer- certainly rationally. Like, I, you know, that's, and it is deeply philosophical. I think that's the, yeah. that's the, 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 the most fun classes that I have, there's two, two sort of topics that come up. One is uh, I'll throw out this idea that uh, my dog has a soul mm-hmm. and it's like, I might as well just cancel whatever else I'd planned to talk about <laughs> for that day. Cause 
all the Christian students are 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 about to like explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, you know, something like God's relationship to time. Yeah. Uh, you know, all, all, these always make for really good discussions. And the thing that I think I always want to draw out is to say, especially on the time issue, right? Like we all look at the Bible verses and have clearly, you know, uh, there's no beginning to God. There's no sort of, um, you know, end to God, that sort of thing. But what does it mean to say that God is everlasting? What does it mean to say that God is eternal? Like you're, you're quickly getting into the the philosophy of it all. Yeah. And so the question, I guess, is just really whether or not you're going to do it well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's helpful. I, we can we can totally uh, cut this part if if you want because I, I want to get a little closer to home. Um, okay. So so maybe we're not going in for for creeds and confessions. Uh, a lot of my more from reform folks are going to be tearing their hair out. But um, I think would you consider yourself an evangelical uh, doctrinally? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So an evangelical like one of one of our big uh, doctrines is uh, inerrancy, right? So yeah. like. Is that for an evangelical philosopher? Is that on the table to be questioned, or is that something that we bracket off and say, like, mm, I'm holding to that doctrine, and I think there's good evidence for it, but even if there weren't, you know, what do you, you get? What I'm getting at, like, we have like these kind of limiting concepts to use the Kantian phrase, yeah, and it seems like maybe we're not supposed to touch those. I I don't I don't see why. I, I okay. guess I just don't see why, um, because I I think that questioning uh, always sounds so sort of adversarial and hostile and that sort of thing. And the way I think of it, at least, and this is what I think is the really one of the great benefits of uh, doing philosophy and especially seeing it modeled well, is that you can hold these ideas sort of to the fire and really sort of press on them with, with while still holding to them, certainly, Um, and moreover, just really trying to say like, what is the, what is the reasoning here? What is the, what's the evidence, I guess, in a way. Um, and so, no, I don't think there's anything that should be, um, out of bounds when we ask our questions. In fact, this, uh, some of the work that I do too is on, on doubt and how to doubt well. And this is where I, you know, probably the topic that I speak on the most when I get to speak to especially high school students and, you know, I don't, again, I think that whole idea that, you know, people are worried about doubt and people are worried about like, if I really question this, like, what is it, what is it going to mean for my faith? And I don't know. I, I don't know what the option is, I guess, mm-hmm. in a way, because especially with, um, you know, the whole sort of youth exodus and the fact that, you know, a lot of sort of millennials and Gen Z folks are just walking away from the faith like and and it's because they're tr- they they do have doubts but they can't find a safe space to to sort of doubt out loud and and the church is not a welcoming place always for for doubts and questions and yeah. so while again I don't think that has to mean that we are sort of on the brink of rejecting inerrancy but my goodness I I think there's really good reasons to sort of question it push it clarify um, and as somebody comes to a place of doubt, like that's just going to sort of happen as a result that we, I say, lean into those doubts and, you know, um, again, not, not so, um, not doing it in such a way that we sort of 
hold our faith in the balance. Like, I just think we, we ask these questions and it's going to cause, you know, in Parker, I'm sure you're, you've, you've experienced this yourself that like, as you start to ask these questions, like you definitely struggle a little bit. I think that's just par for the course. That's, that's not a, that's not an altogether bad thing. Yeah. And this is, that's, that's really helpful to to think through as well. Um, that this might, that maybe adding a little philosophy into our, into our theology, into our theological reasoning. Um, for some that's like, yeah, you just said the same thing twice, but others, they don't, they don't think like that. Yeah. If you, if you add a little, uh, philosophy in some critical thinking on your theology, then maybe, uh, deconstruction won't be such a thing because, a lot of a lot of folks. Um, I don't want to caricature that whole group of people, ex-evangelicals right. and stuff. But right. a lot of them are deconstructing a faith that has never been constructed in the first place. That's right. Right. It's it's been received, and that's kind of how we catch worldviews, anyways. Like Francis Schaeffer talks about catching worldviews and stuff like that. A lot of us don't actively build up our worldviews. Um, so you know, not being naive like that, but um, you should definitely examine what you believe and why you believe it. And a lot of, for a lot of folks, they're just like, look, I don't know if I even really ever believe this. So they say deconstructing, but it's, it, for me, it's not the best word because it, it was never constructed in the first place. Right. Right. And, and it means a lot of different things. So for some, that just means thinking critically about their faith for the first yeah. time. And that's them de- deconstructing because what they're doing is actually asking questions. Um, Right. And they're just not used to that and that sort right. of thing. So whereas others, it, it means walking away, no longer believing it or sort of believing it in a, a much looser, uh, looser sense. But I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a bad word. And, it, and it's got a I mean, it's not a, it's there, there's got to be better words out there, I guess is what I mean. Not like a yeah. four letter <laughs> word. Or something. Yeah, it's a slur. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but and, and because it's got a more you know, technical understanding that I think has little to do with what's going on, you know, in the broader evangelical world. Yeah, that's a good point too. Um, I, I think, okay, so something you, you were just helping me out, just, just, just questioning doesn't have to be irreverent. It doesn't have to be uh, impious or something. I, I think a, a caricature I've received from the communities that I, that I roll in uh, on evidentialism uh, in apologetics and then evidentialism in epistemology is that uh, it's kind of like your faith kind of hangs in the balance when you're when you receive new evidence, and it's like, oh my gosh, well now I my it's like like disagreement literature, like mm-hmm. okay now now I'm not justified because someone else disagrees with me and they're my epistemic peer, and and mm-hmm. uh oh now I can't have this faith any longer. Yeah, um, got to got to readjust. Right, but I I'm pretty sure you consider yourself a an evidentialist yourself, right? Yeah. Yep. And so when you're presented with new evidence, um. How is that not, uh, yeah, the teeter-tottering, your your uh, your credences and, and yeah. your faith? Well, I think there is some, there is some adjusting that's going on, um, right? But I, again, I don't think, one, part of it, part of what I'm doing in the paper that we're going to talk about a little bit is trying to disconnect um, faith from sort of the epistemic status of our beliefs, which that might worry a few people the way I just said that, but uh, I'll clarify Um, such that I don't, I don't, I think faith is one thing. And I think our sort of rational belief is a, is a whole nother and our, you know, what we know is another. Um, So the, so I want to sort of pull, pull apart the epistemology from what faith is. So I think that, Right. Our faith, um, we can we can place faith in Christ 
and and that and that be full, like full on, like full on have faith in Christ, and yet uh, have some questions, and even like be doubting, because we're sort of just working out the epistemology, like our epistemic status and and mm-hmm. the evidence that we have. So there is some readjusting, and I and I would hope, like for my own life, I hope that I'm wrestling with some of these things uh, forever. Uh, I definitely have unanswered questions and I'm, um, you know, I don't have it all figured out. And there's some things that I hold really tightly and some things that I hold more loosely that I'm just still wrestling with and sort of working out what I want to say or believe about it. But that's not, it's not that my faith is kind of coming up and going and coming in and out or whatever. My faith is one thing, whereas that whole sort of intellectual side, I think is something different. Yeah, that well, so that's that was uh, what was so intriguing in your paper. So your the the paper is virtuous faith and evidentialist model, and that's in uh, that's in Phil Christie, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Great. So if if you guys want to look that up, go check that out. It's really good. Um, but people, let's just jump in and say, like, what what uh, what is faith? Yeah. So my sort of uh, rough and ready definition of faith is. Uh, to understand faith as a form of trust. Mm-hmm. So, um, which, yeah, that's not earth shattering right there, but um, right. But it's a sort of, it's a special kind of trust um, that we have. Um, it's when we sort of, I, I, the way I like to say it again, sort of rough and ready is that we, we venture trust. Faith mm-hmm. is faith is ventured trust. So it's when we entrust ourselves to something. So if it's possible for me to sort of trust something from a distance, I think I can make sense of that. Like if I'm looking at getting on an airplane or something like that, I might say like, I, I trust that airplane over there. Um, but faith is really the sort of getting on board um, the airplane, right? It's where we, we venture something. We, we kind of risk ourselves a bit uh, and entrust ourselves to something or uh, someone, especially. So, what I really do, what I've tried to do in the paper is uh, focus in on uh, trust in the context of relationships, because I think that's going to be the most helpful for trying to clarify, of course, the sort of uh, Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, I, how we mean that. So I, I really like that. And you, um, yeah, you, you say it, it ought to be in more moral categories than, than epistemological. Right. Because that's, you know, a lot of the objections and some of these are not you know, coming from the most thoughtful thinkers uh, out there, uh, <laughs> the sort of new atheist types who sure. who really kind of caricature faith. Um, but, you know, that's the sort of belief without evidence or the, uh, who's it, uh, Peter Bogosian, who says that uh, uh, faith is pretending to know what you don't know. Yeah. You know, and it's like hard to take these seriously, but what you notice, and they all, I think, sort of... Uh, rip off uh, uh, Mark Twain's um, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Right. Uh, which is which is far clever, more clever than theirs. But anyway, um, what each of those do, they actually put faith in a kind of epistemic, you know, dimension um, so or category. So they, they, it talks about a certain kind of belief or a certain way of knowing. And then you've got guys like Bogosian who will say something like, faith is a bad epistemology. Mm-hmm. Um, and my response to that is to say, I don't think that faith is a bad epistemology because I don't think it's an epistemology at all, mm. um, much less a bad one. And so, right, because they sort of stick it there because it's, um, I think it has to do the riskiness of faith. Like faith does have this sort of 
like intuitively when we think about it, um, there is something risky about faith and uh, right. Getting on an airplane, like there's a huge risk to that. And, and, you know, uh, the, the example that I use probably the most is when we get married to someone or, you know, it's a, it's a example. Of course, it's a, it's a biblical example. You see that all throughout scripture where our relationship to God is sort of, uh, uh, given by analogy to uh, a marriage relationship. And so there, there's faith that I place in my wife, um, right? And it's it's when you join yourself to someone in marriage, like it's a huge risk. And so there's something risky about it. But if you sort of take faith and force it into an epistemological category, then what's the risk? Well, in epistemology, the risk is like believing falsely. And so if it's believing falsely, then it's just a bad epistemology, right? So you yeah. just kind of like, I think it's sort of, um, um, it's, it's anyway, it just sort of put putting it in that category, I think is just a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I want to be careful to say that epistemology is certainly related to faith. So when we place faith in some someone and we do, but here's where the, the virtuousness comes in or the virtue comes in is because uh, when we, when we place faith in someone um, I, and we do it well, then I think we need to know some things mm. uh, or at least rationally believe some things. So epistemology is related. Like the evidence to me, for me, it, it comes down to evidence is certainly related, but it's not, it, it's not taking faith and sort of squarely putting it in that category. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Um, so some of my uh, epistemologist uh, friends who are listening in are, they might be losing it right now, but so I just want to ask on, on behalf <laughs> right. of them, uh, is, is faith a, is a belief? It's probably not like a one-to-one correspondence or something, but like, is, is every, what is faith? Is it a, a doxastic attitude? Like, is it, yeah, what what is it then? So no, I don't I don't think it is uh I mean if we kind of put it this way, like in its most sort of fundamental sense, um right. So again, I do think that there are probably beliefs and and people, you know, there's a there's a becoming a pretty large literature on uh faith and the nature of faith, mm-hmm. certainly. So there's people and they're all over the map. And so people sure have defended, you know, everything you can possibly imagine. Always. And philosophers do that? Yeah. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a newsflash. Um, but, uh, right, um, I don't think, and so there, there's definitely a sense of the term faith that, that can be understood as, as a doxastic attitude. Like when we say, I'm defending the faith, probably they're what we mean are like certain propositions sure. uh, that we are in fact defending. But when we talk about placing faith, um, especially placing faith in a person or even placing faith in a thing, I don't think we mean a doxastic attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, again, I think we can tease these apart such that I, I, I'm of the opinion that we would have to have some beliefs. Like it would be really odd to say that I place, I've placed my faith in God and I don't believe in God. Yeah, like th- that just seems odd. Like logically possible, okay, maybe, but that just seems really odd because I don't. It almost seems like it that you would have to at least take that being to exist if you're placing faith in that being in some sense or other. But I think you could have a whole host of different 
doxastic attitudes or beliefs about God, uh, some of which might be wild, uh, some of which may not have, you know, you may not have good reasons uh, for, um, but it doesn't, where, but faith seems to be this different thing. It seems to be that I am, again, I, I think of it as a kind of act of trust yeah. Where we where we venture something, we've got some skin in the game. We've sort of risked ourselves in some ways on someone or something. Yeah, I I thought uh, I thought you motivated that well in the paper. You you said it again here, but like faith, you don't really say like I have a faith in Proposition P. It sounds weird, yeah. right? but but we say it, it doesn't sound weird to say I have faith in Travis that he'll be able to answer this yes. question. Yes. Yeah. Right, and so I, that's why you know. We do use the locution, um, I have faith that, and it certainly looks like it's propositional, but mm-hmm. but there's plenty of other times that we say, I have faith in. And so a lot of the debate there is like, which way are you going to go? Are you going to say it's fundamentally propositional? Mm. The sort of, I, I have faith that is the is the is what it all boils down to, or you can sort of translate it into that, or is it goes, goes the other way? And I, the reason why I don't think it's propositional because it just sounds odd again to say that I have faith in a proposition. Um, again, I think there are propositions probably involved in the broader picture, certainly. Um, but at, at its core, sort of like we zero in on it, I, I think that faith ultimately is non-propositional. That it's a it's an action. That's why yeah. I say it's it's in the moral. It's in a moral category rather than an epistemological category in its most fundamental sense. Yeah, I like that. I, I wonder, uh, does that place it in like the the realm of like the subdiscipline of like action theory? Like, is that is that within the, the moral category that you that you are picking out here? Uh, it, I guess it all depends on what one means by action theory. But sure. um, I mean, value theory. Okay. Uh, certainly. So, it kind of. Uh, Right. I mean, that's why I put it. I, I talk about it as we can we can. So this gets a little tricky. Right. But um, there's a I don't think of faith itself as a virtue. OK, that's why that's why the paper is entitled virtuous faith, virtuous faith, because um, I think it is possible to have a kind of vicious faith mm. um, where what I mean by that is that we. You know, so if we think of virtue and vice as a sort of cultivation of of habits and things like that, um, we can cultivate the habit of sort of trusting and entrusting ourselves to the wrong sort of person. Yeah. Uh, right. It's always su- super tra- tragic when you come across, uh, you know, a person who just keeps like dating the wrong guy or, you know, even like, you know, multiple marriages to people who have been abusive and that sort of thing. Um, I think we can make sense of that being um, a kind of act of trust or an act of faith, but they shouldn't. Like mm-hmm. it's not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to a, a situation in which, right, we have good reasons to sort of uh, trust that person, um, and and we've cultivated the virtue or the habit of uh, trusting the right sorts of folks. So yeah, yeah. So I grabbed uh, I grabbed one of your definitions here, and, and okay. Um. Yeah, it's, it's so helpful because you wrote it out and you thought about it for a while. So <laughs> <laughs> let me let me just help you yes. by doing that too. Um, in in the context of a relationship between two persons, S one and S two, subject one, subject two, 
uh, S1 has virtuous faith in S2 if and only if S1, coming from a good will, ventures her well-being on S2, and S1 has good reasons to believe that S2 has a good will toward S1 and is competent to come through for S1 in ways that matter to S1's well-being according to the kind of relationship it is. Now, sometimes that's kind of hard on a podcast or whatever, but yeah. well, I do let's, it. Let's, just, let's yeah. just stop for a second and let that marinate and so and enjoy that. No, okay, yeah, go yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a bunch of theology and philosophy nerds that listen <laughs> in. They're all master students. So they're, they're right. totally tracking with but it. They're um, loving it. Okay. So I really like that. And I wanted to ask about bikes. Like, um, oh, yeah. so... You know, and I know how to ride a bike, and maybe I couldn't put that in propositional form. Yeah. So there we got kind of the we're teasing it apart. Uh, there, there's tacit knowledge, or however you know you want to you want to cash that out. I, I I trust that this bike can hold me, um, but do I have like a genuine relationship with this bike? It's it's not between two persons, right? So can I have virtuous uh, faith in my bike, or does it need to be uh, interpersonal relationship? Okay, so earlier in the paper, I, I've got it pulled up here too. So uh, I give a sort of general account that mm-hmm. would cover objects like that. So I say okay. a person S has faith in an object O, if and only if S ventures her well-being on O, right? So that would be a person vent- a person S venturing uh, uh, her well-being on a bike, an object yeah. O, where S acts on the assumption that O will come through for S in, a, in some way that matters to S's well-being. Okay. So the, that, that uh, all is supposed to mean that uh, you can trust a bike for sure, right? What you're doing is you are acting on the assumption that that bike is going to come through for you. <laughs> now yeah. that's a little bit of a vague, a little vague in its language, but um, right to try to cover all instances of faith is not an easy thing to do. So it's sort of, uh, and, and what I'm driving towards ultimately is a sort of personal, uh, you know, in the context of relationships. And so what you're doing is you're acting on the assumption that the bike's going to come through for you. So it's sort of like, it's going to work the way you want it to work. That matters to your well being. Mm-hmm. You've, you've placed your faith in the bike. Yeah. That's good. I, I missed that. I was all obsessed with the, I got a couple other ones, but it's all on <laughs> subjects. So that's, that's awesome. I'm glad you brought that up And some, okay. So bring it back to logic in the way of Jesus. Something okay. you say in there is that um, Christians have failed to engage culture deeply. And um, I think you're, you're absolutely right on that. So I wanted to engage culture by way of Jordan Peterson, Ooh, um, yeah. all the rage. And I've, I've listened to him a ton. Um, I, I work with college athletes and they all listen to Jordan Peterson as well. So, right. Um, we, to, we talked about, it'd be, it'd be kind of weird to, um, to say like, I, I have faith in something without, without believing it. Right. We, we, we talked about that a little bit. Um, Jordan Peterson, when, when you ask him if he believes in God, he says, I act as if God exists and and it depends, you know, you, you see new, you see new, um, videos every day of him crying or something. And, um, (laughs) right. So you you don't really know where he's at, but he has said often, I act as if, uh, as if God believes and I wonder if maybe we can use your two different uh, definitions that we just listed to flesh out what what he's getting at. It seems like he's saying, it seems like he might be treating God as an object, like the bike. He, If I act in this certain way, I'm going to get certain benefits mm. that come from believing as if yeah. God existed. But it's not the interpersonal subject to subject uh, trust model. What do you make of that? Yeah, so I think it's definitely possible for someone to believe 
in God and not have faith in God. I think mm. it's also possible to act as if God exists and not have faith in God. Mm. That might be Jordan Peterson. I don't, I don't know. You know, of course, none of us know really. But um, well, could you have I, faith without believing that He exists? That's what I I'm I'm not sure you can. I at least I don't know. It would just be so odd if that yeah. was the case. You know. So again, it might be something like in a possible world. You know. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But in actual, you know, in the actual world, is it ever the case that we can? I mean, it almost sounds like we're um, right. I was going to say schizophrenic, but I'm not sure if that's PC today to say that. But yeah, right, it sounds it sounds like we're cognitive dissonance or something. That's, yeah, like we're yeah. we're we're just. I mean, we're kind of back to the pretending pretending bit of Peter Bogosian a little bit, uh, mm. if that's the case. Um, so no, it's it seems to me that you probably do, but but these are not going to be conceptually necessary for faith. Yeah for me, but maybe what you would maybe say is something like causally necessary. Mm. Um, right. So they're not, it's not a constituent of faith, but um, I think in the paper I used the example uh, or I cite uh, Daniel Howard Snyder, who, who makes, you know, that sort of claim. His example is something like uh, knowledge um, causally requires a mind, but, um, a, a being a mind is not a constituent of knowledge, like a mm. conceptual, conceptually necessary condition. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't know where Jordan Peterson, I, you know, I, I've had other people in, in this kind of conversation, bring him up of sort of how, where we situate him, where we place him. And I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, I think one of the questions is, does he does he have a relationship with God? And I would suspect yes in some way, and that would explain the the crying and the, you know, like he he really is, it, whether or not it's saving relation, you know, who, I have no idea, but um, or where he's at exactly, yeah. but uh, but does he place some faith in God? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. D- does um, does everyone have a relationship with God? Like, uh, not, not necessarily like a loving, uh, you know, relationship, yeah. but, but would you say that everyone is in some sense related to God? I think in some sense related for sure, but, but not necessarily, you know, a kind of personal relationship. Right. Uh, right. I would think not. Yeah. Okay. Where, so, where somebody's not reconciled to God and, sure, you know, right. something like that. Yeah. It's just a, a broken relationship or it's yeah. a, yeah. Okay. That's, that's good. Um, when it comes to uh, you brought out this evidentialist uh, intuition in the paper, yeah, uh, t- towards the end to kind of motivate um, the the faith and evidence coming together, yeah. Um, so you you split them apart, right? And you said, look, let's put it in the moral category, but they're not wholly unrelated, of course. So right. don't get too crazy on us, right? Um, with this evidentialist intuition, just real quick, is it? Let's say Grandma believes. Uh, in God, and she doesn't have a whole ton of evidence for God's existence. Um, is that is that like is that rational? Is that something like what do we do with that? She doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't have a whole ton of evidence. Um, maybe maybe she has um, like tacit knowledge of God in the in a way that like you know I know my my aunt exists or something. But if maybe I can't prove that my aunt exists, right? So so what do you what do you make of that? Yeah. No. I. I... <laughs> So I happen to think probably that 
your grandma um, may be more rational than you and me in some ways. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and so part of it for me, so the the evidentialist intuition is this fact that um, whenever we are um, sort of approaching an idea rationally, it seems like we're going to deal with the evidence, um, right? So if Planning is going to write his book arguing against evidentialism, he's writing a book after all. Like he's hmm. he's going to give arguments um, for why we don't need to have arguments you know, for the yeah. things that we believe in that sort of thing. And so um, the idea is something like, sorry, I'm getting a call here. Silence that. Uh, the idea is that if we're going to work out what we believe about politics, we're going to look to the evidence. If we're going to work out what we believe about theology, we're going to look to the evidence and so on and so forth. That's what it seems to me. That's what we have to work on. Like, I don't know what to do with someone that says, look, as long as uh, you're properly functioning, you know, an inappropriate environment, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I just don't know what to do with that. I don't know. Um, I don't know how that's that's guiding in a way. But but evidence it is like I can I can go. So that's kind of the evidentialist intuition is that yep. when we want to be rational, we turn to the evidence. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay, so then when it comes to grandma, um, right? I, so I'm probably the most broad-minded evidentialist that I know. Okay. Uh, because I, I want to count almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> so like probably my bigger problem is not grandma. It's like who isn't – like what is it to not be rational? Mm -hmm. um, because I think pretty much – not everything counts, of course, but like the typical sources – of reason and rationality all count for me as evidence. So certainly it's going to be the formal stuff, uh, right? That's, that's where I live at least one foot. I have one foot in that camp all the time in the academic world. Um, so I love the formal stuff. I love formal arguments for God's existence and, you know, uh, all this, all that stuff in, in apologetics and so on in philosophy of religion. But I don't think that we need that by any stretch. Um, I love that stuff, but I don't need it. So it's sort of like we can go to the depths of a sort of fine tuning argument, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, and get into the right. And I, I, this is well beyond my area for sure to get into the cosmological constant and the strong nuclear force and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think grandma's looking out the window and seeing fine tuning all over the place. Sure. You know what I'm saying? And I think yeah. that is evidence for her. Um, and, and really, honestly, if we're honest, like that's what really compels us too, is that these formalized arguments, it's like they sort of click because they sort of fall within this larger backdrop of all this other evidence that we have that we have never formalized. We've never maybe even reflected on it. Uh, we d almost certainly haven't formalized it, uh, but we've maybe never even reflected on it. And so, mm -hmm. I think guys like you and me who have done a lot of reading and like, we kind of know the objections that are really difficult uh, yeah. that grandma is sort of, you know, blissfully ignorant of probably. Um, so in a way, I mean, if you kind of think of it that way as like, there's, oh, yeah. there's kind of like uh, different standards of uh, evidence for uh, being rational, that kind of a thing, then in a way, grandma might be more rational than you may. 
Well, I mean, we might have to cut that part because you might have just put yourself out of a job. Like, you, like <laughs> don't don't study the arguments, and you could be right? more rational in believing. Well, I'll add that you can always, right? Uh, no, I think that you can always work on these things, and we all do need to work on these things. Yeah. And so, but I, yeah, I just think of stuff like answers to prayer. Okay. I, I think of things like religious experiences. Yeah. Um, I think of things like testimony. Um, and that's why, you know, when you get into these discussions of apologetics and, um, Right. People will say, yeah, I don't think, you know, evidence figures in or they're sort of nervous about evidence figuring in. But I think I mean, just think about all the times that people have come to Christ because they've heard a compelling evidence where the gospel has transformed somebody's life. Yeah, I think that's evidence. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't count that as evidence. Um, And those things, again, in this very messy um, way, all all sort of like get added up to constitute our the rational basis from which we believe. Yeah. So, man, I'm I'm with you on that, and I'm also scared about that. So, like, uh, if when I think about why do I believe in God, um, I don't very often pull out, try to pull out like a transcendental argument for God or a moral argument. Like, I, I, I depending on the the context, I'm not an idiot. Like, I, I know what people are asking for and stuff. But mm-hmm. if I think personally, I think. A lot about answered prayer and religious experience. Uh, one time, I I prayed to see a hawk eat a uh, a, a mouse or a rabbit or something, just a, some kind of varmint. Yeah. And uh, and the next day, I was driving uh, back to college, and I saw a hawk drop out of the sky and jump on this bunny, and it was the sickest right. thing ever. It was awesome. I told my friend, <laughs> and my friend's like, "Dude, that wasn't God, you idiot! Like, that's so stupid." And I was like, "Whatever, man. I prayed and it happened." Yeah. And then uh, that whole week, this family of hawks moved in, like, to my my friends. Uh, trees and they would rip apart bunnies and rabbits and squirrels every day and their guts were hanging down off this pole and he took pictures and he was like all right god i get it like i won't you know <laughs> but it was like that 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 to me is like just god's sense of humor that's kind of knowing yeah. on a person and, and i'm not going to be able to formalize that probably maybe i could but you know I, I don't know if i'd present that to richard feldman today right you know right and i don't think it's all things i mean the the problem with this kind of like um i mean it's the problem with the way in which we do apologetics oftentimes is we zero in on like one particular argument yeah as if it's the be all end all but i think when we zoom way out like the way in which we proceed rationally like those things do matter yeah uh and they're they're of course not like it's it's there's a huge background of beliefs and experiences and evidence and, you know, that's informing that one experience. Uh, But yeah, like my goodness, when you look at the, the sort of long list of um, miraculous claims and religious experiences that people uh, will cite um, again, I I think you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt, especially if you weren't there and and you don't have that full background or whatever, but but I, I I do think that that's the kind of that's the very broad-minded evidentialism that I find really persuasive. Hmm. Um, that's why I say I do think that there's this intuition, and then if you can if you can broaden out our notion of evidence to include those sorts of things, and again, yeah. that's why most people are somewhat rational in their beliefs. Yeah. Now, again, sometimes we do things like ignore. 
uh, obvious objections or or things that are that are salient to to our beliefs and so on. And we don't in those instances we may not be very rational. But broadly speaking, I don't actually think most Christians. I, I think most Christians are rational. Yeah, but I think most atheists are rational too. Okay. Um. Yeah, I want to. I want to bring. I want to bring it back to to grandma really quick. Uh, yeah. Let's say, so because you have this broader uh, range or broader scope of what counts as evidence, um, I think that rightly includes like uh, disagreement to like evidence of evidence is evidence kind of stuff. Like if grandma's in the nursing home, we just moved her in, and she uh, is now roommates with Richard Feldman's grandmother, and she says, you know, I disbelieve. You look out and you see um, the the beautiful squirrels, and you see, you know. You see design there, but I see that hawk ripping apart, and I think, contrary to Parker, that that's not super sick. And I see that as you know, nature is red in tooth and claw. Does does Richard Feldman's grandma, her disagreement, their epistemic peers, whatever they're both grandmothers, let's say that's a category. Does that count as evidence against uh, our grand, my grandmother's belief in God? And you're saying the very fact of their disagreeing does that count as yeah. a sort of counter counter evidence? Um, I think, it, yeah, I think so. Probably. I mean, I, to be consistent, I think I have to say that that too is evidence since I've okay. gotten so broad minded here. <laughs> uh, but I don't think it's, it's very compelling because okay. I, I don't think, I think it's, we, we throw around this term of being an epistemic peer, yeah, I think that's hard to find a true epistemic peer and maybe impossible. I like that a lot. I love that answer. Yeah, I know it's kind of yeah. hardcore, but I like that. Yeah, yeah, because and partly because I think we're so that that huge background that we bring to the table whenever we evaluate something in isolation. Right. To have that be identical, of course, is impossible. Sure. And, and even like, you know, that's why you see like two people, you know, two siblings that grew up in the same family, uh, having very similar experiences, very similar personalities, maybe even, and they take really different views. Yeah. I don't even know that they're epistemic peers yeah. in, in the strict sense of it. Well, and um, even if we go into like possible worlds and stuff, like David Lewis says, our, our counterparts in other worlds are just that, they're counterparts. It's not actually us because they do have different... Yeah. Different experiences, different backgrounds. Right. Like even if it's one little tiny thing, right? Like right. maybe you could quibble over that and say, look, if just a paperclip was was on a different was closer <laughs> or further, maybe they're still are, but but they're counterparts. Yeah, they're not the same exact thing. So I really like that answer. I mean, yeah, that's fun. that's interesting, right? Are your counterparts your epistemic peers even? And if not, then I think, you know, of course your neighbor, atheist yeah. neighbor is probably right. not an epistemic peer. If your counterparts are though it seems like they'd probably believe the same stuff as you, right? Like if they're that close, then they're probably gonna have the same beliefs as you. So then there is no disagreement and all right. my counterparts count as evidence for my belief. Right. Um, maybe. <laughs> right. But, but they're all in a concrete world that we can't get to. So unfortunately I can't ask them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So man, I want to, I'm going to close out um, getting back again to your book. We've been jumping back and forth, but the themes, you know, the, the paper is kind of like you're going your deep dive. And then yeah. um, this book's more at a, at a popular level to encourage Christians to, to think more deeply and not be scared of thinking. Um, Travis, do you have a selected, um, do you have a, a, an audience, typical, typical audience that you think this book is, is, is like perfect for? 
Uh, I think so. It, it's definitely designed to be a kind of uh, you know intro to logic textbook in a Christian setting. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'm doing is trying to uh, situate logic for the Christian and see Jesus as a logician, which is of course a sort of Dallas Willard inspired and J.P. Moreland inspired way of of thinking here. But that was the idea for the book was to basically say. Here's a t- here's a textbook. I mean, it is sort of textbookish, um, uh, you know, run through of various principles of uh, logic and critical thinking, but situated in, in sort of couched in the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. who uh, Jesus. I, one of the things that really jumped out to me as I was writing is how many times people were astonished yeah. by Jesus. That yeah. that word comes up over and over and over again. And it starts actually with Jesus in the temple in Luke two, mm-hmm. where he's supposed to be, you know, on his way back to Nazareth with the family, and they they don't have him, and they they come back to Jerusalem and find him, and it says he's sitting in the temple, sitting among the uh, Jewish teachers. These are going to be the same people that you know later put him to death, basically, and he's he's listening and asking questions. Yeah, and, and they were astonished by his answers, and so that theme sort of runs throughout the Gospels. And what was what jumped out to me was that people are often astonished. I mean, of course they're astonished because he's sometimes doing miracles and things like that. But uh, but more often than not, they're astonished by his teaching. Yeah, and I think there's lots to that, of course. But s- some of that uh, I, I want to think and, and suggest is his use of logic, his, his sort of logical teaching, and, and it features throughout. So we shouldn't merely make Jesus the sort of moral exemplar of our life, but also our intellectual exemplars, the, the thesis. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, Vern Poitras has done some, some work on this as well, um, like, like JP, you said, too. And uh, yeah, um, I, I love it. I, at, at one point, I was like, I was a little astonished. Uh, you, you had this heading and it says, Jesus is logically astonishing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, dude, like settle down. And then I, then you, you pulled the, uh, the, from Matthew and, it, and you brought up how many times people said they were, or yeah. Jesus d- described as being astonishing. I was like, oh, all right. You backed it up like that. Yeah. There you go. That's pretty awesome, man. I, I thought you were, you know, overplaying your hand there, but <laughs> you backed it up. It was awesome. <laughs> okay. Good. Whew. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, I like this book. I, I think that um, yeah, I want to commend it as well. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, dude, th- and thanks for sending it to me. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of close out with, um, with thinking Christianly. Like I, I like that phrase, and I, I like it for reasons you're not going to like. Like I like okay. it because I, I was, uh, I came into apologetics through presuppositionalism, and I think like. It's totally misunderstood. Most preceptors probably don't know like what Van Til really said. Anyways, that's for a whole another time. But that's that's what I think of like worldview thinking. I, I want to think through like the Christian worldview as a Christian. Um, there's you know, it's weird. It, it gets weird, but I like the phrase thinking Christianly. And I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder if if someone listening would be like that seems silly. Like should I have these commitments again? We're, it's going back to kind of Kant in the beginning um, going full circle here, but should I think Christianly or should I just think rationally? Like, does it make sense to think Buddhistly or atheistically? Like, would we, would we want people to think Buddhistly um, <clears throat> if that weren't the case? Wouldn't we just want everyone, especially as evidentialists, maybe like to, to think on the same playing field? Um, I don't think that, but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming some right, of my listeners right. might be saying that. 
so I, I don't know that those things come apart uh, for me, at least that, mm-hmm. you know, at least obviously, I, I guess I want to think that to think Christianly is to think rationally. Um, but again, I think thinking rationally comes, comes pretty easily. Um, yeah. Again, you know, we can be more or less rational, of course. So, th- so when I say, I think that most atheists are somewhat rational in their beliefs, of course, I, I don't, think all things considered i you know when i consider the case i find the case for christianity far more persuasive and compelling but um and therefore more rational i guess um but but yeah so rationality comes sort of easily okay but once we become convinced i think it's that once we become convinced of who jesus was uh if if and this is a sort of dallas willard point to say that if he is lord um, and if we sort of take seriously the things that Scripture says about Jesus, then we should do more than just um, – in other words, what we want to do is conform even our thinking uh, to his. Um, again, most Christians are on board with conforming our behavior and our actions and things like that to him. But I'm, but I'm saying even right the ways in which we think his um, – his um, the the sort of values that he has and so on and so that it matters. So I think all the, all that I'm going for and others, of course, have used this this phrasing. Of course, uh, this is something I'm borrowing uh, absolutely. But um, to be like a business person mm-hmm. and to think Christianly about their business, I think makes <clears throat> sense, right? Right. So to be something yeah. like if rather than sort of like divided off to the sacred and secular sort of split that. Um, this is sort of the opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a business person and you want to think Christianly about your business, then I think there, of course, there's going to be the sort of ethical demands as, as a Christian. That's mm-hmm. the obvious stuff. But it's going to be more than just wearing Christian T-shirts and uh, you know, having a little <laughs> Christian fish in the corner or right. playing Christian music in your business place or whatever. It's to say, like, your very values should be drawn from your Christian faith. And so there, I think, clearly the bottom line can't be, you know, how much money you're making or whatever. Um, now, money's important to any business, so I'm, I'm not saying it's not. But uh, but to have Christian principles sort of guiding the way in which you're going to conduct your your very business, uh, yeah. I think that makes makes sense. So, Yeah, well, <clears throat> I, I really like that. I think of uh, Lewis, C.S. Lewis's short short essay uh, on obstinacy, obstinacy and belief or something like that. And it's, it's, it's really similar to, uh, to Willard and, and what you're saying here. Sure. Um, and this is why I like it because it's, it is a little bit of the precept stuff where it's like, <clears throat> look, if he's Lord of my life and if my mind is being conformed to him, um, I can't, if, if like my epistemic norms are conditioned by my Christian faith and values, then He's Lord of my mind, dude. Like that's what's up. And when, when, <laughs> when, when new things come to like attack my faith, I'm going to take them seriously for sure. But like, I'm, I'm pretty well hooked in here, man. Like I, th- that that's Christ is Lord of my mind. Um, and I, I, that's why I've been bringing up these, these questions about like, uh, confessions and stuff like that, because it, I can imagine someone who doesn't have any faith being like, you're, you're, closing yourself off and you're saying, no, this is not an option for you to not be a Christian any longer. Right. And in one sense, I'm like, well, kind of, yes. Like I've, I've, I'm, I want my mind to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
or to, to his, you know, thinking patterns. I want to think God's thoughts after him. If I'm actively doing that every day, I'm, I'm probably not going to become an atheist tomorrow. Well, does, does that, is that wrong? Am I like flouting an epistemic duty by doing that? I, I don't think so. Uh, necessarily at least I, and I, you know, the whole, I think I'm sort of convinced that the whole debate of presuppositionalism versus other, you know, again, it all just depends what we mean by these. Because Absolutely. I, yeah. I, there's nothing that you've said that I don't, that, at least that I caught in, in that, that, that I would really disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not, so I, I kind of think this is something of a fake debate sure. <laughs> often um, because, and, and if you read some of those, like, um, I don't know, you know, those like five views books or whatever, yeah. and laying out the different apologies, it's, there's so many things that are so similar. I actually find it far more fruitful to back up to the epistemology because what it is to be an evidentialist in apologetics is certainly not what it is to be an evidentialist in epistemology. Sure, sure. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of the arguments, the sort of transcendental arguments are arguments and they would count as evidence right. uh, to a lot of evidentialists in epistemology. Right. So I actually find that to be the much more fruitful discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love parts of presuppositionalism. I, I, d- I just don't think of it as like the exclusive right approach because I don't think it is actually exclusive sure. when it comes to some of these other so-called evidentialist approaches and so on. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, I appreciate you uh, going down these rabbit trails with me. Okay? Yeah, man. <laughs> I've just been popping up and tossing them at you. I, I, I really appreciate that. Well, uh, again, for for the listeners, um, it is yeah, logic. And they, your your yeah. listeners should know that a lot of this is not in the book. <laughs> That's true. Right? That's so true. These are like the jump off points that uh, yeah. Parker has found interesting. And we that's where we went, which is that's great. right. That's yeah. right. And and yeah. they should know by now. They should know that. <laughs> um, but but yeah, do do check out that that uh, essay too, virtuous faith in evidentialist model. Like there's there's stuff all throughout here. There's stuff at different levels um, and it's all good stuff. There's stuff on the argument from reason in here, too, and how we can think about God and logic. And um, that stuff's really fun, too. I, I really, really like your, I don't know, a clarion call, whatever. Like, I like you saying that Christians need to engage in culture more deeply. And I think that I have a lot of Christian philosopher friends. I think most of them are not, they want to be, this is a a popular thing today. And I'm sorry, all my friends, but it's public facing. We want to be public facing. We want public facing philosophy. A lot of my non-Christian philosopher friends also saying the same thing. But when it comes to do doing public facing philosophy, it's how can we talk about what we're interested in in a public manner instead of saying what is the public interested in philosophically, and we're going to speak to them there. And so this is why simulation hypothesis. I'm sorry to say, like everyone's obsessed with it. Uh, do we live in the matrix? Is artificial general intelligence possible? Should we colonize Mars? Like, what does it mean to be a man or woman? So I I love that you said this because I I want to keep ringing that bell too and saying like. I love philosophy. I wish that philosophers were consulted. I wish philosophers were presidents instead, you know, philosopher kings and stuff. Right. There you go. We need a philosopher as a president, but yes. we also need philosophers talking about like simulation hypothesis because I'm a campus missionary as well. And every single day I talk about simulation hypothesis and I don't bring it up. Yeah. So, so I think you're absolutely right. Like we, we need to engage culture and I, I think we need to do it with our own questions, but also with the, the questions that culture is tossing out at us as well. Absolutely. And I mean, this is sort of my own 
one reason why I think philosophy is so valuable, which I think we've really come full circle now, but um, for Christians is in part because when we ask the deep philosophical questions, I actually find um, that the way I sort of put it is, you know, the deeper we sort of push on, on certain questions, if it's epistemological questions or moral questions or uh, questions of metaphysics, um, I think that the the Christian answer is is a good one. Yeah. Uh, and I so I, the way I sort of put it is that, you know, God's sort of waiting for us at the end of those questions. So I, I love a figure like Augustine who, you know, read, you know, sort of gets into philosophy and he gets sort of a taste for, uh, as he puts it, the sort of eternal truths or mm-hmm. something to that effect. Um, and that, but he's far from a Christian at that point, but mm-hmm. it's like, he got his head around something eternal. He got a taste of it, so to speak. And that's what really set his heart to be restless and to keep, you know, driving and finally found that rest in God. Um, and that's just my own journey, of course. And I think that, yeah, there's there's huge value, but we've got it. But you're right. It's got to be that public facing. So it's like we've got to sort of step out of the the crazy technicality that, uh, you know, gets us all bogged down and nobody else can read it. And yeah. You know that, and that stuff's important. I love that too. Yeah, we have to keep yeah. doing that. Do the do the work Absolutely. to back it up. Well, I mean, this is kind of like what why why this is you in this book. You you wrote the paper. It's technical, uh, and it's in a philosophy journal. But you also wrote it for a public people. Like that's what we need philosophers yeah. doing. Well, well, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's great. Yeah, amen. Dude, we just solved it all. Um, we did it. Well, this is this has been awesome. I, I really appreciate the book and and uh, and your time talking with me. You gotta you gotta come back on and, and let's do it again. All right, we'll do a presuppositionalism and why it's a fake debate. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. All right, folks, that's gonna have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.